I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science If you count the legal votes, I easily win. It is time to get bricks done. This candle smells like my vagina. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in the school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Part of the ACAST Creator Network and also available on Patreon. Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Only the Conservatives can be trusted to be careful with taxpayers' money, said Rishi Sunak after the budget. Now, you can see his point because they're like wise Uncle Norman, who's a bit dull but always careful with money. Always turn off lights when you're not in the room, says Norman, as we should only spend money on items that are essential, such as £37 billion on a track and trace system that doesn't track anyone or trace anyone and has to be deleted because it's fucking useless. Or they're like Mrs Butterworth over the road who says, Oh, I've been careful all my life with money, dear. You had to be where I come from. So I always freeze leftover mashed potato and gravy and mix it with beetroot to make soup for a few pence that lasts three days. And when my pension comes, just like the Conservatives did, I put by £2.6 million on a press conference room that I never use. Because you have to be careful. Anyone who started a business has had that awkward meeting with a bank manager when they say, uh, look, it's vital to be careful with your your outgoings, um, rather like the Conservatives. So if you have £10,000 to invest, for example, in your company, the most prudent way to spend it is on 12 rolls of posh wallpaper. And the most careful way to spend £40 million of taxpayers' money is to hand out a contract to someone to make stuff, although they've never made it before because they happen to run the pub that you go in. And to be fair, that is pretty careful. They didn't just give it to anyone who happened to be drinking at the bar. They made sure it was the person who actually ran the pub because that is due diligence. Another careful use of taxpayers' money by the Conservatives was when Liz Truss went to Australia and back using a private plane, costing half a million pounds. Anyone who's had to stretch money out until the end of the month knows that dilemma. Do you get the bus to the market where the potatoes and fruit are a little bit cheaper? Or are you more careful and hire a jet for half a million quid and whiz to Australia? If anyone understands the need to be careful with money, it's Rishi Sunak's family. They're estimated at being worth over £400 million, which makes them richer than the Queen. So if the Queen comes round, the Sunaks must say, oh no, we've we've got that awful woman from the rough estate visiting tonight. Um, Make sure you hide the best crockery, will you? And please don't talk about money while she's here. It'll only embarrass her. In one interview after the budget, the Chancellor claimed his family had noticed the increase in the cost of living. And when he was asked for something he had noticed gone up in price, he said, crisps. Now, it is possible that the Sunak family might notice a rise of four pence on a packet of crisps, but only if they were buying eight million packets of crisps a day in order to build a ready-sorted palace. Or maybe they order truffle and vinegar flavour crisps or 24 carat diamond and onion. He might explain this further, saying, uh, Last year, our weekly marble statue delivery from Ocado uh, cost £12,500. But uh, when we took our children to buy their marble statues for this school term, well, they'd gone up by over £1,000. So it just goes to show we are all suffering together. 
In his speech, he said, I was going to raise the national insurance threshold by £300. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to raise it by £3,000. Now, this proves he's down to earth as he started to talk like a market trader. I expect the full speech went, There you go, ladies. I'm not going to give you 300 not 400 not 500 I'll tell you what, you can take this home for the loved one and you can give your husband something and all. <laughs> you won't get cheaper contributions nowhere, me darlings, whether it's for your national insurance, general reassurance, or whoops, there's the cotter's quick disappearance. I'll tell you what, it's my birthday today. Here you go, bish bash wallop, I'm raging your threshold. £3,000, stick your hands up, ladies, I must be crazy. And then he was photographed putting petrol into a humble Kia Rio hatchback to seem ordinary. But it turned out he had to borrow the car from a Sainsbury's employee for the picture. He'll blow his cover soon, he'll pop into a greasy spoon cafe for a photo and say, bake an egg, sausage and beans, please, love. And uh, do you do any... Braised osprey with a drizzle of gluten-free asparagus essence, my good fellow. So only the Conservatives can be trusted to be careful with taxpayers' money. And if any taxpayers' money does go missing, because someone hasn't been careful, they'll announce, never mind, we are going to appoint somebody to look into this, and we know just the person. It's a, it's a bloke who goes to the pub with Matt Hancock. He'll, he'll do it for only 50 million quid. there were a series of hoax calls made to a number of MPs that were actually traced back to the Kremlin. Now, one of the MPs targeted was Nadine Boris, and we're lucky to be able to hear her here shedding more light on what actually happened. So when did you become suspicious that the call was a hoax? Oh, I was onto them straight away, me. You can't pull the wool over my eyes. They must think I was born yesterday. I said to them, you meet me underneath the Superland banana, just fists, and then put the phone down. I waited there for 12 hours. They never turned up the shithouses. And what about your colleagues who were also targeted? Yeah, well, of course, that Ben Wallace fell for it. He's thick as pig shit, that one. He goes around telling everyone he went to the blue coat school, but we all know he went to Cardinal Lane and he hasn't got two brain cells to rub together. Fuck knows how he's Secretary of State for Defence, the shithouse. And what about Pretty Patel? Pretty who? Oh, don't you mention that fucking name to me. I've known her since we were on that YTS scheme at the 051. We used to go to heebie-jeebies and drink mushroom tea. You won't find that on a Wikipedia page. And she never put her hand in her pocket. It was always Muggins here left with a fucking bill. Mind you, she's brainy as fuck, even though she has got a face like a smacked ass. the shit out. <laughs> Well, as anyone knows who's ever tried to find out the answer to this question, and indeed on this podcast, what the fuck is going on? You can't do it by yourself. You need the experts to you know, scour the world. And uh, we have found someone from Blythe today. I was going to say, you couldn't find any of them experts, could you not? <laughs> no, you're <laughs> the expert. Yeah, you had to settle for me. We're going to settle with you. Kai Humphreys, how are you, sir? I'm very good, Mark. I'm very good. About to go snowboarding with your son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no doubt he'll tell us all about this, you know, when he comes on here, because he enlightens us as to his opinions on there. And last week he revealed mid-podcast that I'd taken in a package that was full of dope. I didn't realise. I just thought I was taking in a package. Yeah, 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 yeah you're accessory to a crime now. Uh, so I'm, what he, <laughs> when he comes back from Austria, isn't it? Yeah. Christ knows what he's going to admit to there. I named you as an accessory to a murder, Dad. I don't mind. <laughs> I've just had him in Blythe as well. He was he was in Blythe for for two yes. months there. 
Excellent. Now, this is the thing. Two of the last sort of um, few times that I've met you, one was in Blythe just after the general election. Another was we watched the final, the England-Italy final, the yes. Euro final together. So you're a fucking jinx, mate. Uh, sorry, man. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what's going to happen next. The nuclear bombs will go off. <laughs> yeah. Now, when I did the, the in-town show about Blythe, uh-huh. uh, which you were a great help for, uh, well, to start with, I mean, this was as soon as you told me this story, I thought, I know that is going to be a big part of the show. The rats. The guy selling the rats. Yeah, just come up to you outside on the high street, wouldn't it? I was with Barry Casanova outside the bookies, and a guy come up and he opened the conversation with, psst. <laughs> you know it's going to be good if yeah, a stranger yeah, yeah. addresses you as, psst. He's like, do you, want, do you want to buy some rats? And like, you had to look twice, like, is this happening? Have I just been offered rats? He was like, five proper top quality rats. Got a high-tech cage and everything. <laughs> and he, he didn't have them on him. We were going to have to follow him into the avenues to collect the rats. And the avenues is a place that's sort of notoriously the the bit yeah. of that's, Yeah, because you, know. you don't need to pass through the avenues, you know. you don't. It's not a through fair. You have to actually have to be in the avenues for, for a purpose, like, for instance, collecting rats. <laughs> Did I tell you a follow-up story about a couple of months later, one of, one of my friends on Facebook wrote, I can't believe what's just happened. A guy down Blythe just tried to sell me four top-quality rats. And I was like, I'm sure that was five. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Blythe was a, it's just, it's a really interesting place for lots of reasons. Like, there's a huge sense of community there, isn't there? I mean, like, uh, the first, one of the first time, not probably not the first time, but when... The big boxing thing that was there. Yeah. Uh, but that was, that was to raise money for a, a lad who needed treatment in America, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And it just, uh-huh. like, the whole the whole town was behind it. And uh, there was a massive, like, instead of putting on a comedy benefit, like normal people, it was a boxing benefit. Aye. Uh, getting clones to punch crap with each other in the, in the centre of Blythe. Just get the feral working class audience in and just get a few artsy tapes and put them in the ring. And... <laughs> it was a spectacle, wasn't it? It was a fantastic. Well, it was probably the opposite way round to the way boxing normally is, which is sort of people watching working class lads just thump each other. This was like a load of working class people coming up to watch a load of artsy type kick each other. It was probably the greatest act of class struggle since the Russian Revolution. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud to be part of that. <laughs> I, I was in both camps, so I claimed in the ring myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a class tourist these days, you know, Mark. I do remember me roots, but I enjoy the finer things new. I've got a, I've got a carver-poo now, man. What's that? It's a, it's one of them poodle crosses, like a little dog that's a designer dog, but you know it's a mongrel. How long would that last in Blythe? <laughs> it would become food. <laughs> it would be a food source. <laughs> But we will come. We will come back to that because Blythe became very famous at the general election uh, in 2019. And I remember you said to me, or we might say to Elliot, that you were pretty sure that Blythe was going to end up with a Conservative MP. Yeah, I was concerned, and it it was real. It was a real shock to my identity. I still haven't fully recovered from it because I've always had like that civic pride of being from Blythe, and. Um, it was just a lot. When I went back, it was just a lot of talk of like, think Corbyn's a terrorist and he's a threat to national security, and it wasn't so much about being Tories, about but about being having to stop this threat from getting in. And I was like, oh, I just felt like they were being spoon-fed the media's agenda to, to get the Tories in. 
And I, I it was like, a, I've always felt like I had a voice in that tone and I felt like it was a fire that I just couldn't fight. I was like trying to fight a fire with a water pistol every time <laughs> I tried to speak to people or, uh, or, or talk to them on on social media or in person. And I, I tell you what, I've always had a fear, especially when I moved to London, that I'd, I'd change and I'd, I'd lose my sense of identity because I changed. So I always tried to go back to Blythe and I started running the gigs there and I keep a connection to my roots. And then when Blythe voted Tory, it was it was me fear, but flipped because I was like, I haven't changed. You've changed. It's you that's changed. I haven't changed my ethics. Oh, look at you. You've gone to London and now you're our Labour. You should Aye. stay here and be a Conservative like the rest of us. What's the matter with you? Yeah. But now this is quite poignant because when Blythe went to the Conservatives, that was the most ridiculous of all the places that went Conservative, if you like, was, was there. And I remember sort of stood watching it on the telly, and I thought, I recognise that place. And it was the leisure centre where they were doing the count, the same place as the boxing Yeah, thing. yeah, it was. I thought, oh, last time I did, it was this brilliant sense of community. And now, oh, my God. I uh, wanted a depressing character arc for that tone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, I do think people are changing their minds, particularly, say, the thing that's happened this week. So, P&O, very company that I knew they were going down the toilet because I went to France and uh, went by ship, right? I thought that would be fun rather than the Eurostar. And it's all true. So, I go to Dover and P&O, you can just tell it's completely gone down the toilet but you know they can't be bothered and there's just one poor woman sat behind a desk and she has to do all the administration so you go up you bought a ticket she has a look and for your passport number borders anything here you go gives you a little button that you use to get on a bus and that comes and takes you to the boat and it's just shabby and everything and there was a french woman in front of me who didn't speak any english and i thought now half of the people who come here must be French. She only goes to Dover, Calais and back. Yeah. And she speaks in French. And she says the exact words. She went, oh, don't talk to me in French. My French is fucking shit. Pardon your French. The woman who works for P&O at Dover. And I thought, oh, bless you. She's probably paid about a pound a month. And I got a sense P&O was going out of the toilet. So... P and O have just sacked everybody during a Zoom meeting. Aye, I heard that. Like thousands of them. Yeah. All the staff. Most of them. Just sat on a Zoom meeting, which is very modern. This is probably the most modern thing about it. It's debatable whether it's legal, but anyway, they feel like, like they can they can just do it. It's like being dumped by text message that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. I just sort of wonder, so when stuff like that happens, and of course the government could, if they wanted to, they could step in and go, you can't, the government, they can, you can't do that, but they're not going to. There's a brilliant little bit of film I saw of the MP for Dover, and she was, there was a demonstration against her, and she thought it was sort of in support of her and started chanting along with it, even though it was like, you fucking arsehole, whatever. I don't know what they were chanting in Dover. And she went along... <laughs> Joined in? Went along with it. Was, yeah, Dover and going, what are you doing? It's against you. <laughs> she just clapping along. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's marvellous to have some rhythm in the town at last. I'm just wondering, do you think in a place, in areas like the North East, and particularly Blythe, is there a little bit of a sense of some people going, oh, no, maybe the Conservatives, maybe they're not quite on our side... <laughs> I'm not entirely sure because a lot of a lot of the chats about there's a there's a new factory for batteries for cars 
getting built oh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. North, in North Blythe in Camus. Yeah. And I think uh, I think a lot of people put that down to the Tories, even though it was probably decided when there was a Labour MP there. Right. And now it's getting it's getting actioned now. I, I don't actually right. know the ins and outs of it, but I think just because of the time of this popping up, it looks like it's good timing to fit their narrative, if that's the way you lean. Yes. Now, I want to talk about the, the boxing, because you're a big fan of the, uh, boxing. Well, I'm, I'm more into UFC. Right. Uh, it was just a lot easier to organise a boxing event than a cage fighting event, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Comedians cage fighting just felt like a step too far. And at least with the boxing, there was only a 20% chance of a death. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> As opposed to one hundred percent, if it was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's vicious. So you become mates with. I first saw this lad about three or four years ago. I've got a mate who uh, I go around and watch sport with. You know, we watch anything. One day I went round there one afternoon and we enjoyed about two hours of the Latvian snooker open tournament in Riga, which had four people watching it. But on one afternoon we watched the joys of Paddy the Baddy Pimblet. Oh, we never class. seen before. Some, and you some become boy. mates with him. Yeah, I um, my brother tipped us off about him. He was like, "You want to check out this young scouse lad? He's fighting in cage warriors." Because I'm like, "This is like you know, if you just watch the Premier League and then somebody tells you that there's somebody yeah, yeah. playing really well in like League One or whatever." Yeah, it was like that, right? And uh, I watched a couple of his fights, and I mean, he was class because he he won this fight. He beat the kid. I think he submitted him, and then he spewed up in the ring, and then he went, oh, "I shouldn't have had that hot chocolate just before the fight." <laughs> I was like, I fucking love this kid, man. I love this kid. He's barely taking the fight seriously and he's smashing every one of them. And then uh, I was um, touring with Sloss at the time, as, as we tend to do every year. And um, me and Daniel Sloss got in touch with him on, on Twitter and just went, hey, mate, we've been watching your fights and uh, we'd love you to come to the gig if you want comps, come along. And uh, it, like my head's got bets. We knew he was going to be a star. <laughs> so you could come to watch my uh, gig in Liverpool. And then the, the couple of times we've been back, he, uh, we went on his podcast and stuff. And I mean, he's... He's smashing people in the UFC now. Did you see his fight on the weekend? It was amazing. And I mean, because for people who don't, you know, I'm, I'm guessing there are people who listen to this who won't know Paddy Pimlet or very much about UFC. But first of all, I saw him because he's got this sort of image of, he just looks so sweet and innocent, wouldn't he? If you wandered, uh, wandered down the street, you'd think, oh, that lovely little lad, I expect uh, he, he's got like, he He's got like a looks... Beatles haircut, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's not affected, is it? You know, you'd think, oh, I expect he looks after sick animals or something like that. Uh, and uh, and he was so kind of the one I saw, yeah, well, I'm open, so have a good fight. And I thought, oh, he's going to get, you know, that's obviously the uh, trick. He's gonna, And then he just gets uh, about two minutes into it, he's just... Pummeled this poor sod. Uh, he, huge... he put on a clinic. Yes. So this week, as we're sitting here now, at the press conference after his fight, he sat there eating a pizza. Oh, yeah, he gets, he gets fat after his fight. He was telling us this. He, he, he always just, like... Because he, he reckons he's a naturally naturally a fat guy at heart. And he, after fights, he allows himself to be the fat guy he wants to be. Well, also, what I wasn't expecting in a press conference after a UFC fight was that he then made this speech about... He uh, hoped no one that was there from the Sun, because this is Liverpool. Aye. And when they said, "Are you going to be as famous as Conor McGregor?" He said, "If I'm Love as rich as Conor McGregor, then I'll use the money to eliminate all the food banks in Liverpool because we're Aye. not fucking Tories here." By feeding the kids, by the way, not just close them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Littering streets with your fucking <laughs> common <laughs> your toilet rolls, your fucking. Uh... <laughs> 
How am I supposed to sell me house with you? Like, yeah. no, no, it wasn't like that. No. Yeah, because he even he even said uh, in his post-match thing, he went, "I was gonna, I was gonna get everyone chanting fuck, fuck the Tories, but there's already too much hate in the world." And it was nice that because he he, sh- he showed that he like he's recognising there's a lot of hate in the world, but he still managed to see it. <laughs> And Clive, where, and so where can we hear you? What's your your the thing you do with Daniel? So I, I do a podcast with Daniel. It's called Sloss and Humphreys on the Road, and it's a tour journal. It's meant to be because we, we travel together. We've just done a big tour of America towards the end of last year, and we've got some gigs coming up in, in Europe and that. We're going to Budapest and everything. And everywhere we go, we set up a studio in the hotel, and we just document the tour. We talk about where we've been, what we've been doing, like the culture, and just and then it ends up going off on tangents. A lot of overshare. And um, we tend to keep it going when we're not touring. We'll do it out of his studio. Have a brilliant time in Austria as well. Yeah, thanks, man. That's where we'll do the podcast from next. So if people want to tune in to Sloss and Humphreys on the road, we'll be doing it from Meyerhofen in the Alps. That's where the road takes us next. Thank you so much. Kai Humphreys. And now, once again, it's time to hear from our favourite talk show host, Someone who is the master of gently teasing out opinions, Mike Concrete. Now, next up is Dave Woosley. Uh, he's collected a lorry load of clothes and he's driving to the Polish border to hand them to refugees. He's with me now. What's this all about, mate? Hello, Mike. Uh, well, just some of the people on my street saw the pictures on the news and we thought we had to do something. So we've gone around towns like Crammy and Blythe and Ashton and that and we're asking for clothes and the response has been amazing. Everyone's happy to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's paying your benefits while you're away on holiday, eh? Us, I suppose. Uh, no, no, mate, we've, uh, we've raised the money to take the lorry. I bet you get some swimming in, won't you? Some swimming while you're on the Polish border? Not, not really, mate. We're delivering the clothes and that to the people that are fleeing the homes. Oh, I suppose you'll tell Social Security you're looking for work, will you? And then you'll spend all day in a Polish Greyhound Stadium. Uh, uh, mate, it's, uh, it's just a humanitarian mission. We'll have any time for Greyhounds. I know we're driving. Like, five countries we've got to get through. Oh, right, and you're going to claim benefits in all of them, is that it? You'll tell the Poles you're not fit to work because you've got too many Zs in your name, eh? It's just, clo- it's just clothes, mate. I don't know why you're worrying. Why don't you give clothes away on an English border, like the village of Emsworth, on the border between Sussex and Hampshire? Not foreign enough for you, eh? Mate, just, uh, just make I don't even think the village Emsworth is it's not packed with thousands of desperate people who've been fleeing their homes after being shelled by tanks and that. Yes, it is. See ya, Dave. That's enough of that idiot. No one of Debenham's closed down. Here's Lord Sugar with today's rail cancellations. <laughs> enjoying this podcast you can help support it how wonderful will you feel about that by signing up to patreon you go to patreon.com and search for what the fuck is going on with mark Steele, and it's like a little private membership club to this podcast like the groucho club or the garrett club or one of them things you'll be able to do that except marginally cheaper four pounds a month where you will get ad free versions of the podcast bonus sketches uh, like this week there's a woman on a phone in who's sick of it jeremy she's sick of it that's just for the patreon subscribers and you're just going to search and there is the podcast and that's it that's it right now when i'm when i'm giving advice on how to sign up to things digitally it must be so ridiculously, utterly simple that they must be slightly peeved that they've not made it more complicated. But it, it's absolutely that simple. Then you will be part of the 
what the fuck is going on community. So if you want all of those things and very many more things, including very soon discounted tickets for live what the fuck is going on shows that we will be doing uh, fairly soon later this year, follow the link on our Twitter page, WTF is going on pod or search on Patreon and for just £4 a month you get all of that and you help to support this podcast and feel better about yourself. It's better than medicine, really, doctors are saying. So, this week, a number of people have sent in issues that they think we should work out what the fuck is going on with it. For example, at A Hague Og, that's a marvellous Twitter name, A-H-A-G-E-O-G. Is that Gaelic? Uh, escaped tiger turns out to be a soft toy. Now, I think this sort of thing happens now and again, where there's a huge panic in an area. This one was in Oldham because somebody spots a large beast. It might be a tiger, it might be a dragon or a stegosaurus. And the police then end up shutting everywhere down. At one point, about 10 years ago, this happened in a place called Hedge End, which is where the international stadium, indeed, for cricket is, the Rose Bowl. And Hampshire were playing. And the game got suspended. Everybody had to go off because the police, we, are, we have heard that there is a tiger loose in the area. And then eventually, of course, it turned out that the tiger wasn't really... It was sort of loose, but it was also made of stuffing and Velcro and was a soft toy and therefore was very, very unlikely to run onto the pitch at Hedge End at the Rose Bowl without paying and eat the deep square leg. So this one, it says, this article says, uh, this is from the BBC website, an escaped tiger spotted in a garden turned out to be a soft toy after terrified neighbours raised the alarm. I'm sorry, Alden. What is the matter with you that when you see a tiger on the grass, when you see the shape of a tiger on the grass, you must think, well, there's a number of things that that could be. It could be a children's toy, given that pretty much every child has a collection of soft toys, a number of which are large beasts that were they not soft toys, but were actually running around in the Serengeti could be mildly dangerous. But it's more likely to be a soft toy than a tiger oh bloody hell there's a bloody shirt that looks a bit tigery i expect that's a tiger that's got lost as it's left tanzania it's accidentally got on a ferry and it's come over here and landed in a garden in Auden because it's a homing tiger and this is probably where it comes from it's a not probably it's sick of eating zebras and wants red cabbage and pies so the greater manchester police found the animal was in fact not real and top marks to the Greater Manchester Police for this. The officers in a Facebook post said Tony was asked for a comment about the Oldham Police and said, they're great. There we are. If you're a certain age, you would appreciate that, I'm sure. So, some years ago, the very wonderful and much-missed Linda Smith, who came from a little tiny sort of town that is by the river where Kent sort of almost becomes London, called Erith, because I come from Swanley, which is about four miles from there. In fact, after she passed away, someone showed an article that she'd written where she, where she said, I often used to argue with Mark Steele about which of us was brought up in the more miserable place, him in Swanley or me in Erith. I always put up a good fight to say it was Erith, but deep in my heart, I knew he was right. One of her bits of evidence that it was Erith was that at one point, 
there was a competition locally to name the new leisure centre in Erith. And uh, the local paper very proudly boasted that the winning entrance was the one that suggested the Erith Leisure Centre. So, in the honour of that, I was sent this by Darren Barrett this week. This is from the Selby. Leisure Centre winner is Steve. That's a brilliant headline. That's really someone in a rush. Quick, we need a headline about the Leisure Centre and the winner is Steve. What about Leisure Centre winner is Steve? I think that covers it. The winner of a competition to name the new Leisure Centre in Selby is Steve Wadsworth. He has won a free year's membership from Wigan Leisure and Culture Trust. He chose the name the Selby Leisure Centre. Now, I think they could almost be sued for copyright there from the Erith Leisure Centre, but I think it's marvellous that that level of imagination and creativity continues through our small towns. And I think probably as a result of this, Erith and Selby now ought to twin with each other and there should be a competition to see what this new arrangement should be and the winner should be Erith and Selby. Now, there's a... I don't know what... I, I've got to work out what the fuck is going on here. Hind Christopher sent this to us. And, well, the headline is, is decent enough. I let... This is in The Guardian, so this isn't just any old tabloid nonsense. The headline, I let a baby bird <laughs> nest in my hair for 84 days. And there's a woman in Ghana, and she she went there. We relocated from London, where I worked as a photographer and copywriter for the capital of Accra. And I'm sure she felt very, very much at one and at home with the people. We then moved to the grasslands where Guinea grass swayed 11 feet tall. I'm sure all the local people were immensely grateful for us going there and teaching them how to live in a meditative state. And then a bird nested in her hair and she left, <laughs> she left it there for 84 days. And top marks to her, she's got this huge article in the Guardian. Think of all the things people do to try and get articles in newspapers. <laughs> She's let a baby bird nest in her hair for 84 days. Gwyneth Paltrow is furious. She's got to top that now and let an ostrich nest in her vagina for eight months, no doubt. Uh, I don't know why, why she did that. I'm sure she had a very good reason. I'm all for being kind to baby birds, but they don't want to nest in your hair. The bird has probably spent 84 days going, eh, 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 which is bird language for... Can you fucking let me out? Oh, what the fuck is going on? Now, as anybody who has embarked on the extraordinary project of finding out what the fuck is going on will testify, you need people from all different age groups to even stand a chance. And that is why some years ago I bred someone so that I'd be able to carry out my investigations. Elliot Steele with us today. Where are you? I'm in Birmingham. That's lovely. Are you in a hotel or are you sort of sat on the street with a polystyrene cup? Well, I'm in, a, I'm in a nice hotel. They put me up in quite a nice hotel, actually. Went and had some breakfast. It was all nice. All right, that's nice. So, what we have to talk about then this week is that... Have I done the right thing here? I've signed up to that, that scheme where you get a Ukrainian. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what it is. But the thing that's putting me off, I don't mind that there's a, a Ukrainian coming, you know, if a Ukrainian comes to the house, I'm not that bothered about the risk of the Ukrainian, you know, uh, the difficulties of language or whatever else might happen. It's just that it involves a load of online forms. Well, yeah, it, it should have a few online forms. Okay. 
What do you reckon then? Are you craning in the ass? Yeah, that'd be nice. I think more people should do that. It's weird that people are like, I'm quite happy to go over there and fight for them. And then you go, well, you're probably going to get in the way and not know what you're doing with your limited combat experience. <laughs> but, and then you go, but you know, if you could put a Ukrainian up and I go, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's, you know, they'll, they'll be in the way when I'm trying to have breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it would be good to have someone, I don't know. It would be nice. It'd be uh, you'd be a little bit peeved if they moaned about like something in the house, wouldn't they? If they just started moaning about you know, oh, there's a bit of damp there. Could you? And you go, hold on a second, right? Your house is currently encircled by spetsnaz, so let's lose the tone. Let's not, you know, moan at me because I've had the last of the rice krispies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what started it all. Ukraine had the last of the Rice Krispies. <laughs> that was too much for beauty. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be nice, you know, doing your bit if you want to help people. That's, it's a good thing. I know, I know I usually have some sort of cynical attitude that I bring to this, but I actually think it's a really nice thing to do for somebody. All right, then. It's definitely going to backfire in some way, shape or form by the government, I think, because it's weird that... I saw people saying that, like, oh, why are you taking these people in? You know, because, like, the right have to find a way to attack people. So it's always been, would you let a refugee into your home? And now people are letting refugees into their home. They have to find a different angle. So now the angle is, what about ex-servicemen? And you go, well, I would, no. I support the troops. I don't think it's their fault they went to war. I think, I think you know, I've got friends who fought out in Afghanistan and stuff. But I wouldn't want to live with them. Because I'm clumsy. What if I drop a pan and it reminds him of Fallujah? And I've just got a knife in my back. Like, what am I? I don't want that in my house. Living with post-traumatic stress disorder. Can't have dyspraxics and people with PTSD living with each other while I'm dropping things and I suddenly, <laughs> suddenly kick the sofa over to take cover. How? How? Uh, when do we find out? Well, I don't know. This is the thing. The scheme is, it's chaos, because what should happen, of course, in an ideal world, and what happens in most European countries, is the government says, we're going to accept these refugees, and I don't know exactly how it happens, but they go to centres, and it's processed, and then they're put up in various places that are available. But here, because there's such much stronger restrictions on refugees, here they've had to rely on people's goodwill and going. Oh, I've got a house. I um, why don't you come into my cottage and you can maybe you know there's not much room but you can stay in the bath, and there's that. So there's no sort of regulation to it at all, and that's why I, I guess that, that it will yeah. be chaos probably this scheme. But brilliant that people have done that. Yeah, it's really good of people. So it should do it for everyone. But then of course there's some people who go, oh, you wouldn't do this. Nobody did this for Afghan refugees or Syrian refugees. Yeah, there is. It is odd that it's something. But there is also like there's this thing where people try to one up on everything. I was talking about this with Mike on my podcast, Tech Philosophers, the other day. That there is also a massive culture shock there and a massive divide. Like it's not that is also factored into it. There is a difference. So to just go oh, we wouldn't do this for an Afghan refugee or a Syrian refugee. Well, I think people did do it for Syrian refugees, and it's it's a lot different because of the, the way that, the, you know, I, I agree we should have done a lot more to help these people. But there is also, like, a massive different sort of culture, as there will be with the Ukrainian stuff. So there are, there are slight differences. I always find when people do that, it becomes like this morality thing where you're doing a good thing. And they're not doing anything. So they have to point out that nobody's done it for these other group of people, nor have they done anything. So they can then feel fine for not having done anything at all. Yeah, well, there will always be certain sort of people on the left who, who will always find a reason to moan about everything that's positive and go, yeah. Oh, yeah, but that didn't, you didn't do that positive thing in the other situation. So 
therefore none of it counts. I think the main thing is, it's not happening to me, so who cares? And that's that really is the thing that we have to remember in all this, is it's only important when it's going to happen to us. But until then, you know, I've had a coffee this morning. I'm bored of the war now. It's like, it's gotten to that bit, you know, where Big Brother, where the arguments have stopped. They're all just sort of getting used to it. You tune out a little bit. We need to shake it up a little bit. I saw an article in The Guardian yesterday by The Guardian journalist in Kiev who said that he was in a hotel cafe in Kiev and saw an English person just shout in English to the Ukrainian waitress complaining that he'd ordered his coffee 10 minutes ago and it still hasn't arrived and what's the matter with her? Good. Damn fucking right. She should. That's. There's no excuse for shit service. If you can't get coffee to people on time, how are you going to run ammunition to the to the people who are suddenly going to be fighting the army? Thank you very much, Elliot Steele. Oh, what about Thank your podcast? You. I've got a podcast, BTEC Philosophers, where we discuss things at the same level of hostility that I've just shown there. Okay. Well, that's lovely to know. Elliot Steele. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We are now available on Patreon. So if you want to become a supporter and get ad-free versions and all the bonus things that we've described, such as the Jeff Northcott interview and a very, very long interview with uh, the lovely Berg Shappy, please sign up to that. Just £4 a month. You just go to Patreon and put what the fuck is going on in the search bit and up it will pop. If you have liked the podcast then rate it and if you can be bothered write a review if you can't be bothered then it's very important that you do then write a review if there is anything at all that you think i should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it please send me a message on twitter at wtf is going on pod and we will look at every message that you send what the fuck is going on was hosted by me mark Steele, with my guests kai humphreys and elliot Steele. voices by sarah alexander and kai humphreys it was written by mark Steele, james serafinowicz and pete sinclair music by willie dowling it was produced and edited by matt and scott and Podmonkey. what the fuck is going on is a co-production between Podmonkey and concept industries <laughs>